to play in the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Turn handle in left side. Finds a little bit of a hole, keeps his leg moving. He's across the 40, midfield, 45, he's on the run winch. 40, pushes the man, 35, look at him go. He's down to 20, 15, he could go. He is going to go. Touchdown, Seahawks. Oh, my word. A 67-yard run. Marshawn Lynch, unbelievable. The beast is alive and well. Wide receivers to either side. Russell takes the snap. He drops back. He's going to throw down the middle. He's got a man. Come on. It has been decided, maybe since the safety in the first quarter. 12, they're bringing the trophy home. Your Seahawks, Super Bowl 48 champion. Ladies and gentlemen, Seahawks and football fans everywhere, a very warm welcome back to the We Talk Seahawks football podcast. Um, I hope you're all doing well. Um, one normal week of Seahawks football. It's all we ever ask for. It's all that we'll never get. We never get it. Um, but do you know what? In a world full of normality, who 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 wants to be normal? Let's live a bit different. Let's be Seahawks fans and let's have crazy games every single week because it's what we do. Uh, twenty nine to twenty six over the Washington Commanders. My lord, um, yet another couple of years taken off my lifespan. If we win the Super Bowl, though, I'll forgive uh, Geno Smith and Co. Um, but a crazy game, um, one that ebbed and flowed, a tale of two halves, in my opinion, from the first half to the second two different teams, uh, functioning-wise. Um, it, it was it was a really interesting display of how we adjusted um, and how we overcame hurdles, and how particularly Geno Smith overcame hurdles in this game to, again, again, it has to be said, leaders at the back end of a game to seal a win for us uh, when, when we needed him most um, after a pretty dismal first half performance which we're going to get into tonight as always um, but before we get into it as always Mr Positive himself Pez how are you mate? I'm good mate good good I, uh, I've got a confession that first half bored me to sleep it's all right. up with did we finish we had the final possession of the first, of the first half didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Way, I woke yeah. up. I woke up for that. So, <laughs> yeah, I was like a bit buzzed. I was like, well, I, I swear, tell me what's going on here. And I was like, oh shit, falling asleep. Clearly didn't miss fuck all. So, <laughs> no, that you woke up for the most entertaining, frustrating, exciting part of that game. That uh, yeah, yep. the fucking uh, grounding that what that uh, that they called and oh, it was just an absolute shit show of how to shit show. how to knock yourself back in and out and in and out of field goal range. It was it was Benny Hill. Um, it was it, yeah, it was pretty ridiculous. But that's that's the Seahawks for you, um, Mitch. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good, very good. Glad to see a win back in the win column after the the, the game that we won't mention the week before. Um, feeling very good about a number of things in that game. A little concerned about a few little things as well, but it wouldn't be a Seahawks podcast if we had only good things to talk about. It seems we always uh, 
progress one thing and then uh, regress in another area. We never get all of, uh, we never get the full house, do we? It's always something lacking. But overall, happy with the win. Um, and like I say, happy with a number of different things and a few comebacks that we had um, in that game from a few players who didn't have their best showing uh, against Baltimore. So lots to talk about. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we fix the bath and then the toilet breaks, and then the toilet is fixed, and then the bath breaks. That, that, that's just how we do with the with the, with the Seahawks. We can never have a, a unison of a of a team. Um, no. But um, but no, we 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 might be starting to get there. Who knows? Um, but yeah, twenty nine to twenty six. I'll read through the 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 little the little stat sheets as I always do, um, just for context. Um, and in case any of you guys out there listening. Um, either haven't seen or, or forgotten these kind of numbers just to put it fresh into everyone's minds before we kick off on the podcast um, so total yards from the game 489 for the Seahawks 356 for Washington 369 passing yards for Seattle 288 for Washington 120 rushing yards for Seattle just 68 for Washington a 6.6 yards per player average for Seattle 5.8 yards per player average for Washington 27 First downs for the Seahawks and market improvements from last week, certainly, when I think we only had about six. Um, 16 for Washington. We were four for 14 on third down, which isn't amazing, but believe you me, that's slightly better than what we have been doing in recent weeks. Uh, seven for 15 for Washington. They were very decent on third down. Uh, fourth down efficiency, one for one for both teams. 74 total players for the Seahawks, 61 for Washington. Just the one sack allowed on Geno Smith, and Seattle got to Sam Howell three times. Four punts to Washington's five. Eight penalties for 50 yards. Yet again, the most penalised team in the NFL. It will never end. Uh, Six penalties for Washington as well. They were fairly penalised on the day as well. Obviously, the fumble for Washington as well. No interceptions. And the time of possession was almost identical. 30 minutes and 27 seconds for the Seahawks. And 29 minutes and 33 for the Washington Commanders. Um, Only one place to start, as we always do with the offence. Geno Smith, signal caller. Very, very mixed opinions on Gino, as there has been all season, um, but especially coming out of this game again. And as I alluded to in the, in the opening intro of this podcast, a tale of two halves. And I think that's absolutely appropriate with Gino Smith. First half was pretty abysmal. Again, the boos were ringing out of Lumen Field. You could sense the frustration um, on, on Gino Smith from everyone watching, um, holding on for the ball for too long, making silly decisions. Obviously, that Benny Hill segment at the end was just ridiculous. Um, but he ends up with a stat line of 31 completions for 47 attempts, 369 yards of passing, two touchdowns and no interceptions, which is a very good stat line, but we know that doesn't tell the entire story. Um, interesting, as again, I allude to, tell of two halves, Geno Smith was pressured on only 14% of his dropbacks in the first half, which would have been his lowest since joining the Seahawks if it, if it holds at the time. So I think it did. Uh, that was mid kind of first half from Brady Henderson. Um, and during that point, he'd completed just 59% of his passes for 5.6 yards per play average and two of seven on throws of 10 plus air yards in the first half. And then in the second half, he ended up going 15 for 20, 217 yards, two touchdowns and a 143.1 passer rating. So something happened in that second half. Something happened in that locker room. Someone has got a hold of him. Something, Some conversation has happened. Or maybe it was just a bit of soul searching from Gino and said, look, I, I've, I've got to figure this stuff out. Something has happened in that interval, that 10, 15 minute interval at halftime. And Geno Smith came out looking like the quarterback of last year. Um, so it wasn't perfect. Never, never really is. But 
I mean, some of them throws, especially down the stretch in that final fourth quarter, in that final kind of two-minute offense, um, when, when, well, it wasn't even two minutes, was it? it was 58 seconds or whatever it was. Um, the throws to DK Metcalf, just absolutely exceptional. That little lofted ball over to Tyler Lockett, just absolute perfection. And this is this is why I personally, and I know we all do, but this is why I personally always defend Gino and stick up for Gino because when he when he does get a clean pocket and when he can throw the ball, I don't see many quarterbacks, if any quarterbacks, throwing a better ball than him in the NFL. When he's accurate, he's so accurate. Um, and, and he can just dice teams up and kill teams up. And it, it's so frustrating because in that first half, it was like, just yet again, just... And to be honest with you, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of taking all of this segment here. I will bring you guys in in a minute. Um, but to be honest with you, I can't. I'm not going to really sit here and blame the player calling this week. That's been my big thing that I haven't agreed with the player calling. But you know what? I, I, I quite like the player calling this week. We were executing screens, tight ends were getting involved. Uh, will Disley had a nice catch in that. I think it was the first half. Uh, no fan sort of again was targeted a few times, but couldn't quite sort of get that. Um, you know, that Gino underthrown ball to, to to fan, but he was trying to look for him one or two times. So there's a bit more tight end inclusion. Um and and I, I can't really sit here and blame the the play calling. I thought we were dunking and diving. They weren't overly deep shot in it. Um, you know, the the offense the only thing was I thought they abandoned the run a little bit too early, but then picked it up towards the end of the game. And that sort of helped Gino with his confidence. Um but I I don't know, I just I can't help but but just think Gino is is he is a problem, but he's not a problem. I I, I can't work out where I'm at with Gino. That's how he, he is a problem, but he's not a problem because he he can be excellent, but he can also look pretty darn awful as well. So I just don't know where to stand with Gino. Um, but Pez, I'll bring you in first because uh, I know you're always very very uh, very opinionated on Gino. Um, what what did you make of Gino in this game? Did we win because of Gino or did we win in spite of Gino? Do you know what's quite funny? You said something that I was going to say anyway myself. Um, after watching a few bits again this morning, a few YouTube videos, like, you know, breaking down the film and stuff like that, um, I think it was a bit of both. I think the play calling was a lot better. Again, we do already know this. We do know that Pete and Shane, they like to listen to our podcast. They probably were like them boys from the UK. They're fuming with us and we do not want to get roasted anymore. So let's start sorting our shit out. But there's a bit, there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel with how Gino played because we've seen this, right? So it's like we said last week, he started off the first game, three quarters of football, really good. Then regressed to two, then regressed to one. And he middled around, like, not, it's not like a just straight game after game pyramid, but he middled around. It was like three good quarters, two good quarters for a little bit longer, then one quarter. And then last week, the wheels completely fell off, like I said in last week's pod. So, really, you can, you either stay there and inevitably, we end up fizzling out and he gets benched is the inevitable outcome of that. Or you start rebuilding. And an interesting thing here is when the good quarters came, it was always the start and then fizzled off at the end. Whereas it's really nice to see, like you said yourself, he had a really bad first half, but then came out and lit it up in the second half. Mm -hmm. 
And for Gino's sake, with the heat he's getting at the moment, he he is great for his confidence. Because someone in our Discord said uh, in that first half, it might have been you, James, saying his confidence is absolutely shot. Like he just looks like he doesn't know what to do anymore. He he doesn't know whether he's coming or going. And it, 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 it's what we spoke about and hark back to Gino plays well. We we had the conversation a couple of weeks ago and about Gino and his arrogance. Gino hasn't had that arrogant swagger about him, what I alluded to for many a game now. In this game, that touchdown to Tyler Lockett. Ridiculous. He was throwing that ball before even Lockett had turned around. It was excellent chemistry, that. Oh, yeah. Just perfect. Um, So this game's great for for his confidence. And it's a good sign to see that it's happened at the end and not at the start. Maybe we can get a rejig. Maybe we can, uh, you know, change something up a little bit. Maybe get him firing up. I don't know. Your point about you don't know where you are with Gino, for me, my simple thing is, and again, like I've harped on about, it, it's not like a bench Gino thing. It's just simply how I read it. And Gino is just essentially a bang average quarterback. What does a bang average quarterback really do? And I'm being genuine here. What what did he really do? When all the pieces work for a bang average quarterback, they look really good. And they're like, oh, my God. He's really good. Maybe being a bit harsh, a little bit above average, maybe I'd give him. But so the same. When everything works for Geno, he looks lights out. When things start falling to pieces, he starts falling to pieces. To me, in my like personal way of interpreting that, is he's just bang average. Like you said, James, like your way of describing him to me just sounds like he's just a bang average quarterback. But it is what you get. Don't think he's going to take everyone on his back and lead us to the promised land like a Mahomes or a Josh Allen or a Burrow or someone like that, because it's not him. You you said it yourself, but how I interpret that is. Because he isn't like good enough to do it if everything else isn't around him. Mm. And again, like I said, that doesn't mean benching. Do you know? It, do you know what it is? Do you know? What it, I look at it and go. I see another team in the NFC, the Detroit Lions, and I look at their quarterback, Jared Goff, and I've, I've, I've draw similarities to Jared Goff. Not in the way that they play the game, but I suppose they are still kind of similar, both pocket passes. But I just think I look at Jared Goff, and he is playing excellent again. A very similar kind of redemption arc that Geno's gone on with. The same with uh, with Jared Goff. Not quite as Hollywood as Geno's, but you know. Was, was benched out of jobs, heading towards potentially being out of the league, and then has, has revived his career in Detroit. Um, and I look at that and I go, he is playing excellent, but is he is he good enough for Detroit to ever sort of you know get to an NFC Championship, win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff? Can he just can he take them that far, but then fail at that hurdle? And I, and I look at Gino, I think I could see Gino taking us to an NFC Championship or a, a, a divisional game or deep in the playoffs. But can I see Gino winning a Super Bowl? I just can't. But I do think he's a very good quarterback. So I don't know. 
So no, no. Do you know what? You make a perfect. You make for me. You make a perfect. Um, what you said there is perfect because it's exactly where I'm coming from. People might think and go, oh, "This guy doesn't know whatever," but we spoke about him numerous times on this podcast about that might just be the difference between Americans' expectations and the British expectations when it comes to sport. But I want to watch this team win another Super Bowl. So I am not going to settle or be very kind to a guy who I just think is bang average and needs everyone else to be on all cylinders for him to be functional. And your, your Jared Goff analysis, your comparison is bang on the money. Because except for that Chargers game, what technically was his home for many a year, when he goes away, he's nothing like, he's elite at home. You send him into an away stadium and he's not even half the man. And he did it against the Lions, though. I mean, that was a big one. He went, he went away to the Lions and he had a great game there. But you're right that it doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. Yeah. What, what do you think? So, sorry, sorry. Yeah, go on, Mitch. No, go on, Mitch. I mean, James's point that sometimes he's, he's elite and sometimes he's below average. So what we're saying here is, on average, he's average, right? So in a in a weird way, he averages out to to, the, to a middle of the pack kind of kind of quarterback. There's there's a, a there's a bit of a wonky stat in the NFL um, regarding the Super Bowl, whereby no one has ever won the Super Bowl with a player on the roster earning more than twenty five percent of the cap. The highest it's ever been is twenty four percent, I think, in one of Brady's years. But he played a lot of that spell of domination on a cap friendly deal. That allowed him to to work towards his legacy and have more players, you know, of quality around him, which is which is great and very noble, and it's created a dynasty of success, right? Um, so we're doing it in in one of two ways that, that we possibly can at, at, in Seattle when we when we say we're contending, we're we're paying um, a comeback quarterback. We'll call him a comeback quarterback. He's, you know, he's come from being a backup to a starter. We've given him a contract that, you know, gives him the potential to earn top money, but unlikely to. And the alternative to that is to draft a young quarterback in the second or third round, pay them pittance for five years, and hope that the, the rest of the roster is strong enough in all facets, not just on the offense. You need to have a defense to get you off the, you know, off the field as well. And and put a guy in there and have five years of contending. But you can't do that until your roster is set. Because if you think about it, if we did that, say we took a quarterback last year instead of Gino, keep it instead of keeping Gino, he'd be learning his trade now at the same time as players like Devin Witherspoon and Reek Woolen still polishing up and Maffei still improving. And what you really want to do is get to the third or fourth year on those two rookie classes and then take the quarterback so that you're saving the money there, you're renewing those contracts in the roster, nailing them down for the next three, four years, and then that quarterback, if he comes good, you're hot to trot, you're good, you're going, you know, you're challenging. So that's one way of doing it. Paying Gino the money we're paying him, we're getting what we deserve paying a quarterback 30 million. That's middle-of-the-road money for a middle-of-the-road quarterback that occasionally has a very good game and can win you stuff. I'd rather have the guy that occasionally gets red-hot and wins a game, you know, in two quarters of it than a guy that's average and, you know, most things are a three and out. Sometimes your running game gets you there. Sometimes he snaps off a big one and, and you know, you, you punch one in from 30, 40 yards. I'd rather have the guy with the upside 
the average guy with the occasional upside that are that are boring, dull quarterback, um, just controlling the you know, securing the ball, feeding the run game occasionally, playing a few passes. It's just this is the more entertaining way to have it, is what I'm trying to say. And I think we are setting up the roster in such a way that if we have one more good draft class, maybe with a quarterback in it who sits for a year behind Gino, we actually might have an unbelievable chance at three or four years of serious contention at least. So basically my my take on 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 uh, Gino is he's had a better game. He's had a worse game the previous week. He had a good goodish game before that, you know, he, we're getting inconsistency from an average quarterback on average money and you get what you pay for in this league. Fair enough. Fair enough. Whilst we're just on it, um, I'm going to hijack you, James. I just wanted to speak about Waldron because, do you know, something else whilst Mitch was speaking, what clicked in my head was I said it when I first started uh, talking about how I feel like Waldron and Gino were both good yesterday. And it was noticeable because I was listening to uh, the YouTube video what Top Billing normally does after the game, highlights a few things. And he was calling out the commentary about Gino because they were like, oh, you need to follow JSN. And he was just like, it's third down, pockets collapse around him. And JSN has literally been passed from uh, the linebacker Mayo to the other linebacker. What does Gino, Gino wants to get him killed? Because that guy literally probably would have given him concussion. He would have hit him that hard with the, you know, the angle he was at. Yeah. Um, probably why he hesitated and in game I said like JSM was open there what the fuck are you doing but then he broke it down he's like he was nowhere near open like yeah it's a hospital pass if he makes that pass he he sells him down the river yeah yeah but that also highlighted to me I I was watching it and I was just like I was in the gym like (laughs) on the fucking step machine just getting my uh, cardio in just like watching as many videos and I was just aimlessly watching it, like listening along, and I thought to myself, "Oh man, that was third down, and that was a well-designed play for third down. Amazing! You had Noah Fan um, short, you had JSN running across short. I was like, mate, like maybe that's just a game where them two clicked. Can them two actually? You you said who did who spoke at halftime? Could it have simply just been Shane and Gino?" And like we said last week, Gino just turned around to Shane and going, the things you're doing aren't working for me right now. Can we simplify things? Maybe, you know? And I think the recipe for success maybe is, and it's a very, (laughs) it's a very thingy, like very uh, hard point to come across. But if Gino and Waldron can just be on the same page, it's that genuinely, I think it's just that simple, that second half. They just seem to be on the same page, and they, they succeeded. So, well, yeah, that that, that is that's it hard. Been... Is it hard for an OC? And uh, I know you've got mastermind Pete behind it. And he likes to keep everything close and gets fucking erections off heart attacks and that from the fan base. <laughs> well, you know, it's been all season. I think the only thing that's the main thing that's been holding back the offense is is the play calling synergy between Gino and Shane Waldron. So, if that can be resolved. The only thing that would then hold hold the team back is is the offensive line being banged up. But then you get an Abe Lucas back 
guys are playing more anyway and getting more reps out there. So um, it is. It has been the, the, the play calling for me that's been holding it back. So it was nice to see it clicking a bit better. I've got a stat here on Gino, a weird little funky thing here. I'll on go his go-ahead scoring drive, he was 5 for 5, 50 yards and a touchdown. On the game-winning drive, it was 4 for 5, 50 yards and then the field goal. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> that, that, see, when he clicks like that, this is what we're talking about. When he clicks like that, you're like, like his, his stat line for the day was, uh, you, you've already read it, but whilst we're in the country, it's 31 for, uh, for uh, 47, 369, two touchdowns. It's like, that. that's a really good game. But this is the thing. People might listen to this and go, oh, these guys hate Gino. It's not about hating Gino. It's not about a little sample size of one game. Because like we said last week, don't fall into the trap of these next two games. Because if Stafford's not back next week, our defence will probably destroy Carson Wentz and re-injure him again. Like, or, well, they don't have Brett Rippon anymore, but, you know, if it's a backup quarterback, we'll win that solely because the defence will probably have so much success, even if Gino doesn't succeed himself. Mm. So don't get lured into the trap, what we always do, of we're, we're meant to win these next two games. And then when it comes to the Niners on Thanksgiving night and some of us who don't stay up, wake up and see we got battered by three scores and it's like, How, we've done so well the last two. no. Just don't get lured into it. That's why these conversations about Gino need to be had, regardless of how well of a game he had. Mm. Yeah. We, I was going to say, on, on, the, on the subject of the game plan and, and Waldron and the way we drew it up, I think it's really interesting because it felt to me a little bit like um, we we had... Imagine, imagine the offense being drawn up like a bo- like a boxer having a plan for how he how he's going to get through the defense of another opponent, right? And maybe he's he's throwing a jab and then throwing a cross and trying to set up an uppercut or some kind of haymaker, or he knows how he's going to finish his opponent, right? But it's how he gets there and sets it up that that is the main focus, right? And we didn't rely on the run game, which I thought we would, because the kind of defense that that the commanders play is really susceptible to intermediate intermediate length and, and deep balls um, with the way they play. But you have to get them into a shape, first of all, that is just, you know, that allows you to cash that in. But the funny thing was the jab and the cross, the one-two that lead to the haymaker, had so much success in the first half that we didn't need to use the finisher, you know, we didn't need to use that deep ball. And when I when I say the the, the one the one two to set it up, I mean the running the running game is one thing, but the one thing they did really differently in this game, and I've got some fantastic stats for you boys, you're gonna love these, right? The the short throws with the yards after catch upside that Gino was throwing in the first half that made JSN look exactly like the player we drafted was the plan, right? It was it was run the ball, do the do the shallow stuff with the yards after catch, the streaky little runs afterwards, right? Um, on first and second down, we were snapping off we were snapping off first downs on first and second down repeatedly with balls to Boba, balls to JSN, ball, um, you know Charbonnet in second half with little ten yard runs. Those plays were designed to force their defense to compact and open up the field. We saw Gino come out in the second half almost immediately through a deep ball. 
that was that was just slightly overthrown. Was in the end of the game, we were seeing you know intermediates to DK and and Tyler that were ripping off huge chunks. That was the end game. But it, up until that point, we had so much success with yards after catch that we didn't need that third part of the combo. It was it was one two one two one two, and those those runs and those um, those short throws were so effective that we finished the game for the first time uh, in the modern era with our four uh, main receivers, DK, Tyler, JSN and um, Walker, with 50 yards of yak in a game. And here's a great one for you. You're going to love this one. 258 total yards of yak in one game is the second most by any team this season in the NFL and the most in Seahawks history. Interesting. A great stat interesting point as we bring it back to Gino and move on to the other positions that I think he was in terms of when you look at his yardage it, it's definitely been inflated with the Ken Walker catch and run that that went for what 64 yards on that reception so um you, you kind of look at that and, and take with a bit of a pin I don't know but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take that pinch of salt if you if no. your if your game plan is to is to hit players earlier in their routes so that they have the the you're you're putting players in a position to play to their strengths. If you hit if you hit JSN a couple of yards into his route and just say, there you go, balls in your hands, dude. Use your vision, use your skills, um, and use your awareness to to rip off another six or seven. If you suddenly if, the way I, the way I'm putting it is if you throw a ball for four yards right on second or first down you're happy with those four yards but the upside is that might be 16 the one to tyler that went for 17 was fantastic early in, in the half because you thought like oh that would be a first down 17 <laughs> do, do you know what i mean and if you it, I'll, I'll give i'll give gino his dues there if you if you hit the numbers right you place that ball um, so well that a guy can take the ball in stride he doesn't have to stop you don't risk him getting absolutely smashed by a linebacker as as Pez mentioned earlier you know you, you can definitely throw players into trouble if you put them in a position to hit the ball in stride and carry the ball for another five don't need those third downs that we can't do <laughs> just do it in do it on first downs and second downs so Yes, it's padded his stats, but you have to still make those throws with good timing and good touch to, to put them in those positions. With what you're saying there, Mitch, if you wanted to take a positive out of it, because I know there's a lot of fan base you like to try and keep it positive, is when they go back and watch that game, they might actually start realising... Because people need to remember, like I always harp on about, everyone gets so caught up in the moment. Like, I, I'm talking, like, big picture. I'm not saying, like, they're going to Super Bowl the job or whatever. But just remember where the books were when they yeah. won the Super Bowl. Everyone everyone had them dead and buried for three quarters of the season. And they went on an absolute riot towards the end, right? So everyone just needs to also keep in mind, this offense has shown in this game that, with a couple of little things to drop in there, I don't even think Gino needs a perfectly clean all line. He didn't get one back a lot of the time last year and still managed to. Genuinely, I'm more convinced now from us talking and me watching, Gino and Waldron need to get on the same page. And this game could really be, if you want to take a positive out of it and not keep yourself in all the negativity of what's happened recently, the positive out of this for me is this game could actually be the best thing this offense needed 
for Pete, Waldron, Gino, whoever else to sit down, watch tape together and go, do you know what really fucking worked well? Exactly what Mitch said. And when they listen to the podcast this week, they'll be like that, Mitch. I don't know if they'll be bringing me up in the meetings, but yeah. <laughs> you never know. The, I'd love it. The boys it. the boys are on to us. The boys are on to us. The boys from yeah, they'll just be playing our pod in there in their meeting. But, but yeah, I, th- um, I think I think that the, the main point is they used that to try and set up the deep ball, but it worked so well that it just wasn't needed. It was, okay, well, that's got us another set of first downs. We'll run the ball again. Well, that's three or four yards. We'll throw the ball to, to JSN and see if we can get some yak. Oh, we got a first down again. You know, that, that putting the ball in the hands of playmakers early in the route is also great because if you think about the ball late in the route when it's matured, often the, the cornerback's running with DK and there's a safety coming over as well in case... DK manhandles his guy when he catches it. And there's another that you hit a guy early in a route, he's in a one on one. You can get another five, six, seven yards at that point until until someone else comes and stops you. If you're if you're a player with a bit of wiggle or you're a guy with a physical mismatch, there's some yards to be gained there after the catch. If you wait and wait and wait for something to mature and then need like a second movement from Tyler Lockett or something, momentum's gone, he's going to catch the ball and sit down, you'll get nothing but the throw you made. Hit the ball, hit the guy early with the ball. Let your playmakers make plays, and we saw a lot. We saw a lot of that from players in skill positions. No offense, another one who who we we just criminally under underutilized for that. Tight ends, Pete Carroll. Everyone says Baldwin on that one, but I was speaking to my brother this week, and me and him were talking, and he said that, and I said it without thinking, and then I realized, oh shit. Because who doesn't use a tight end? Pete Carroll, he never really has, doesn't like him. Bald, everyone's like, Waldron's a tight ends guy. Well, maybe we need to not get so boxed in over two men and not forget who runs the show and just I, in, incorporate all that. But just what, what you said, Mitch, you literally, we're on it tonight. We're in sync. The minds are all together because you literally took what I was going to say because I was going to throw a question to you and say, all this yak and shorty, short yard stuff and that what worked to this game. Name a game this season where you, you can remember them doing it. How many times did we cry about like it's all deep shots? Third down, there's no one short, there's no one on the first down line, there's no one anywhere. He's waiting for them to develop. Name a game where we've had something like this. Well, the good thing, the good thing is we We've not seen very many similar games on offense this year. We've seen games where the tight ends have been brilliantly utilized. We've seen games where the running the running game has basically ran the show. We've seen games where uh, we've put the ball in the hands of receivers early in their routes and allowed Yak to, to, to you know break the back of the opponent and keep getting first downs. We've seen lots of different identities to this to this this team. If we keep racking up wins doing different things every game. One, we're going to be hard to scheme for defensively because you never know which which thing we're going to go to. But also, if, if Gino's having a bit of a difficult game, he could turn to Waldron and go, look, you know, you remember what we did in the first half against the, the Browns? Or, you know, let's let's try and get, you know, let's try and do this. Or let's, you know, if you know what has worked for you, you then get options in your arsenal to, to you know, to switch between. So I feel in a way that we're kind of feeling out what this offense looks like this year because it's a different team around around Gina. There's a few. There's a lot. Well, there's a lot of similar pieces. There are some new toys in there as well, um, and it hasn't looked the same. 
and the offense offensive line's been different most games as well. So he's had a lot of moving parts, and I think we're finding ways um, to get it done. And they're often different ways, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. If yeah, yeah, if they build on what they did in this game and scrap the other plans, just build on that second half with everything Mitch said. They've got a recipe for success. If they like, they'll love doing. If they fuck it off and go back to what they used to do, well, everyone's going to have yeah. a come down to earth party next week. Well, the way you stop the yak is the same way you stop the run, and that's to bring the safeties up and get extra men in there. And so you've never got someone too far away from making a tackle after the catch. You do that, you take the lid off for the deep ball. So um, that is a really good recipe. Run game, yards after catch, hit the deep balls. We've got the personnel to pull that off. So I like it. JSN, 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 and more JSN. Never mind JSN. <laughs> how, about, how about DK Metcalf, in my opinion? Um, this is, I've been screaming and shouting for a while now about we don't use, for all we criticise DK for his penalties and stuff like that, We we the way we use him in the past in terms of the, the routes that we ask him to run and how we try and get him the ball is ridiculous. Like we said, this game um, and, and, and this season, it's just trying to force deep shots down him all the time, down the sideline. It don't, they don't work. It's ridiculous. And I've been saying for all all this time, his best, the best version of DK Metcalf is when you get him running and moving across the open field, across the middle of the field, and you get him the ball in between the hash marks. That That's that's where DK, in between the numbers, that's where DK thrives on those slants, on those crosses, because that old saying, the sideline is a second defender. DK Metcalf is a mismatch. Why give the defense a second defender to defend against DK Metcalf? Get him across the middle, and you saw it on the on the back end in that fourth quarter on that final drive. Those two balls to DK across the absolutely fantastic. The corners can't live with him. He's as quick as any corner. He's bigger than most of them. He's out. He'll out physical them. He'll he'll sort of jam them at the line of scrimmage and get and get open. And once he's open, once he's got that ball in his hands in the middle of the field, running across the open field, it's a nightmare. You can feel the ground move. Defenders don't want to tackle him. It's like Marshawn. It's like one, once Marshawn broke into the second, you could see defenders didn't want to come down into the box and tackle Marshawn. It's the same with DK. Corners, safeties don't want to come down downhill in the open field and have to try and tackle DK Metcalf. When they've got the sideline there, they can just push him out of bounds You know, as he's making the catch. And it's easy. Don't make it easy for them. Loved it. It's- it's a funny one, that one as well, that you talk about those catches he made late in the game, which basically iced it. Um, I, I thought it was funny that he's, he's done it a few times. It's not the first time he's done it, right? But everyone expects that ball to go to the sideline so we can snap off some yards, stop the clock and get the kickoff, right? What DK did got people very twitchy at the end because trying to get a few extra yards after the catch for, for Myers and then getting the ball snapped on four seconds was sketchy <laughs> it, was, it was perfectly it was, executed but it was brilliant perfect, it was perfectly executed because those those defensive backs are all pretty much reading the play and thinking we're going to the sidelines to see a guy run to the middle of the field they're almost happy for him to receive the ball there because they're thinking well shit they haven't got a timeout if he catches the ball there this is game over they're certainly not expecting him to grab it and try and stay up they're thinking, okay, well, he's got it. He's gonna, he's gonna get the deck. And uh, no, I'm, I'm getting these yards. And he, and he, I don't think it made a difference to Jason Myers' kick. Um, 
but he did everything within his power to help the team and get and get every advantage possible and still executed it with enough time on the clock. And I think I think the smarts there, it looks a stupid move to do it in an inward route when you really should be going out of play. But psychologically, that was not what they thought they were going to be defending against there. And I think he he absolutely maximised it as much as he can. He he ringed every single drop out of that play for Jason Myers, who also was fantastic, by the way. I know we're talking offence, but Jason Myers hasn't missed a kick since week four, and I love that. Money, money. But don't you not just think when you think of DK and his time in Seattle, when I when I think of some of his best players, they're all they're all in the middle of the field when he's got I can't remember it like was it two years ago was again I can't remember I wanna say the forty nines might not have been where he caught it in the middle of the field and then he scampered in to like the corner of the end zone for like a like a forty, fifty yard touchdown over the middle of the field. Yeah, this is like that's where he's best. Like, I just he's a nightmare in the open field. What, like, it would it baffles me why they try and force deep shots down to the sideline when defenders can just just push him out of bounds. It's ridiculous. Do you know what will be a good, but a, a good thing? Well, Derek Young looks like he's done himself in again. Mm. So maybe Bobo. No, you need speed for me to think what if Derek Young was healthy and had a bit more game time this year. Do you know what would be fucking great? Line him and DK up on the same side. Just line them up on the same side. Speed, massive, ginormous receivers, and then watch the defense go. Oh shit! What do we do? What do we do? That'd be that'd be a nightmare because, like you said, DK, you could do a cross. You could do a crossover where DK could be on the outside, and then he's always going to be going in the middle. And then, like you said, he's a nightmare. Derek Young with the same speed, then burn down the thingy because, like you said, it's almost like since. Even with Russ, it's like DK was a safety valve, and then he took the flak. the The only thing, like you two, basically said everything what I'd say anyway. So I'm not going to repeat that. The only thing I'd say with DK is he's compared. If you're not a Seahawks fan and some Seahawks fans as well, he's so misunderstood to who, who he is as a person because of his because of his flags, because of his aggressive nature. Everyone's like, oh, this, that, and the other, but. He's probably one of the bigger team players there is, as Mitch said in that last play. Like, I thought this is fucking amazing if he tries hero ball in this. Like, we're, we're <laughs> like, it's Hail Mary, no seconds on the clock. He's just going to take three guys with him to the end zone type thing. But, like he said, it's all to do with the team. Like, that's all I've got really to say on him. He's so m- misrepresented around the league. I've got friends who don't watch us but just see him come up because of stuff he does. And like, oh, he's a big baby, he's this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, no, you're just jealous because you want him on your team. Mm. Unless you're the Eagles and you've got AJ Brown. Mm. But maybe we need to sit down, see what the Eagles do with AJ Brown and just go, for many a season, DK was producing better than AJ. So maybe we should just get him to do what AJ's doing because... What AJ is doing, most of it is over the middle. If you watch it, most of it. So, so the, the 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 comparisons are still drawing. Um, I want to shout out two people before we leave the offense as well. Tyler Lockett for somehow continuing to play in that game after receiving that hit from <laughs> Emmanuel Forbes, which, yeah. for my money, was an ejection. I thought it was targeting. I thought he didn't make any contact with his shoulder pad. That was pure helmet to helmet. He leaned. I thought that that fit the bill for it for me. Some people thought it was harsh. I don't know where you guys stood on it. I'll get your opinions just out of interest. Um, Me, quickly, at first I said it's a bit harsh to do it, but then when I watched the replays, 
Yeah. It was just very missile wasn't it? There was no thought process behind why he was doing. He just wanted to take him out. Yeah. And you knew it was bad because Tyler, again, top billing, loved shouting him out because he does really good content. He slowed it down and spoke about it. And he said Tyler didn't even catch the ball, did he? No. Because he, he slowed it down in the slow-mo and he said, like, he, he had this clip where Tyler was... Tyler could probably see him out of his peripherals. And it came to a point when he went to go and catch, meant to get the ball, his eyes were already away because he knew it was coming. And then after he dropped the ball, he was already wincing because he knew it was going to be bad. So a veteran player like Tyler showing them kind of motions in slowed down time to what's about to happen shows he definitely should have been ejected for what he did because he had no concern over him at all. No. Yeah, for me, it's it's either it's either intentional because he's leaning into it. He's leading with the head. It's a defenseless deceiver that isn't moving. Sometimes you get heavy head head to head contact, right? And the receiver makes an immediate movement and moves into it, you know. And you think, well, the guy didn't have a chance to get his head out the way there. Tyler's mm. head is rock steady and still. He leans his head in. It's either intentional or it's reckless or it's both. Either one or both, it should be an ejection for me. And sometimes I feel like players think they can get away with a bit of a, a dirty shot early in a game because mm. it's so early that maybe they won't make a decision. A bit like in football when you have a derby game and people think they can get away with leaving their studs on someone because it's early and they won't they won't say in, in the fourth or fifth minute. That reeks to me of someone who thought they could get away with planting one on someone. I, I did feel like it endangered a player and it... I, I was, to be honest, I didn't want to see him ejected because Emmanuel Forbes is someone I watched a lot last year in college. And I did really want to see how he matched up with DK because for me, that was a fascinating, it was it was a fascinating potential matchup watching Forbes because I, I wondered how, how a smaller guy who was aggressive would manage against DK. And we got robbed of that because of his stupid decision. I'd have loved to have seen. What about you, Pez? Would you have liked to see DK versus Forbes? A smaller, a smaller corner? It would have been an interesting battle. Yeah, I think it would have, but do you know what? I think DK would have had a better day against him compared to... <laughs> I actually think so, St. Just and... Uh, yeah, because I like St. Just a lot all over the place, a little... little I like his energy as well. On the he, field. Seems to, he seems to always be smiling, like, after attack mm. or whatever. He's always a bit like... Um, reminds me a bit of D, like a defensive DJ Dallas. You know how DJ Dallas is always... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what he takes on the sideline. He's had a few too many skittles. He's on the the Marshawn, the Marshawn uh, skills. I don't know what it is, but he's always he's always smiling, and I love I love to see that. Players just enjoy him playing the game. Always a good thing to see. Yeah. Well, the final guy I want to shout out before we move off the offense because we've got to get to the defense as well because some excellent guys to talk about there. Um, can I just talk very quickly about my guy, Zach Charbonnet? Uh, pop the corks, everyone. Start pouring a few glasses because. It's only, it's only going to get better. It's only going upwards. Zach Charbonnet is going through the motions. He's going through the gears. Um, he is starting to warm up. Um, he was, for my money, six carries, 44 yards, a 7.3 average per carry, um, and then a, a quite a few uh, receiving yards as well, four receptions for 18 yards as well, four and a half average receptions. Um, 
other than that sort of moment in the again in the fourth quarter where he, he should have gone out of bounds and he didn't, and I thought, oh, that's it, we're going to overtime now. We've wasted 15 seconds, burnt a timeout, um, and I thought, well, that was it. In the end, it didn't matter. Um, but other than that, I thought he was absolutely excellent. I, I was loving the way Zach Charbonnet was moving on that field, running. And to be fair, the offensive line parted the Red Sea for him, and, and he had plenty of room to to run into. But didn't he look shifty? Didn't he look good when he was running? And I just thought he looked so much more confident to this first few games where we saw Zach, as soon as he kind of, whenever he got his opportunity going through the tackles, he kind of froze up. Where do I go? Do I do I commit to a gap? He wasn't quite sure. Now I think you're seeing Zach, when he, when it opens mm-hmm. up for him, he's, he's bang, he's made his mind up. Now I'm committed, going for it. Yeah. He's committed. He's so more confident. He, you're completely right. He did still do a few things because it wound me up in the start of the year where, like, exactly like you said, he'd get in the open and he'd slow himself down by going. Yeah. It's like, mate, you're a bulldozer. Run through him and you're free to the promised land, mate. But he he did it. He did it on a play again this game. But like you said, he's still going. My, My concern... For our running back room at the moment is the last couple of games, Charbonnet's shown kind of when he's the lead guy. It's almost, it's, do you know what? It's a weird pairing that no one talks about when it comes to running backs that Ken needs Charbonnet and Charbonnet needs Ken. Charbonnet needs Ken to be the lead back. Ken needs Charbonnet to come in and take a load of the donkey work and then let him do because I'm still adamant. I'm still adamant that Ken isn't 100. percent The summit up with him. He was on the sideline, um, sat on a Gatorade tub, ho- holding his stomach. Someone came over to him and he was pointing to his stomach. No one really alluded to what that was. He took, maybe took a shot. He maybe not feeling too well. I just feel like he's not 100. percent There might be a niggling injury there. What's not worthy for the report. Um, but he took that 64 do you know what the, the thing was um, with the running backs as a whole quickly for me is they both look really good Yeah. and when they're both really good it's exactly what we said at the start of the season that's what we want to see and like you said Charbonnet is just starting to gradually get himself exact, I, again I think we just we just know what we're talking about sometimes. Oh, we're switched on, Pez. We're switched on. Mitch, any of your thoughts before two, we head to the, two, head to the defense? Two things on, on Charbonnet. One, we're, we're seeing him um, get a lot more confident at what what he does in at this level. He was extremely good at, 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 in college and, and year on year um, just showed real uh, improvement year on year. You could see it in his stats. You could see it in his confidence. He He's a guy that really sort of gains momentum. Yeah. And I feel like we still haven't seen him score a touchdown yet. And that might be the feather in his cap. You know, he's, he's gaining momentum all the time. Imagine him once he's got that monkey off his back and he's had that first. I can just see it now, you know, five five yards to go, uh, maybe on a two-point conversion or something, and they're giving the ball up the gut, bang. There we go. That's that's it. And then and then we'll see another level from him. And Pez, you mentioned, you mentioned earlier in the year when he was – he was he was shimmying a bit rather than committing to the hit. I think what we've got in in Charbonnet, it's not it's not a pure punishing um, power runner. He has got that wiggle and go as well. And I think what 
where you'll really see him rip off some fun plays are where he's had a bit of he's had a wiggle and beaten a man, and the next time he's running at that same defender, that guy will try and be light on his feet because he thinks he's either going to go left or right, and he's just going to go through him. And it's going to be light on his feet, thinking he's going to he's going to embarrass me again, and it will embarrass him again because he'll go straight through him, and he won't set his feet for being hit. He'll set his feet for lateral movement. Charbonnet did that all the way through college. He was he was known for being both. He's a hybrid back, so doing doing his little wriggle and not getting much of a benefit from it. It almost sets it. It's setting up teams that watch his tape now will have seen him do both things. Players won't know, and no one likes being embarrassed once in this league, let alone twice by the same player. They don't like to be beaten, so um, he's just setting out his his repertoire of tricks. You know, he, he's definitely rubbing off on Ken, though, isn't it? Because like Ken's loving a Ken massive the hit. Yeah. Oh man! Yeah, sorry. And and you know what they look like? They're, they're fucking like the best of mates as well. Or, or, you know, like in, in the facility and that. I bet they're just together all the time because, like, what it was. I think it was the fourth quarter. Charbonnet when he should have gone out and he didn't go out, and Ken was straight away picking him up. Like he must have been, sh- I think, shouting something, slapping him on the helmet, like telling him to get going and stuff. And it's like he's not threatened by him. He just wants. Not threatened because they're they're exactly the same. They're both like these the, the character wise. They're both exactly the same. Ken doesn't say boo to a goose. Zach doesn't say boo to a goose. Both kind of shy, reserved, more kind of you know silent assassin kind of characters. And I just think they they, they bounce off each other. I am sharp you, do you not, iron, right? Yeah. Do you not do you not think Ken's getting a bit more out of his? Show? He is. He is. But he's still quite a you know he's not like a yeah. Jamal Adams disease. Like he's no. quite a you know just. Whilst we're on the running backs quickly, because I know we need to get on the thingy and the, the time and stuff, and the Gino segment takes up so much uh, of our time, rightly so. Um, I'd just like to say the one thing about Ken, what I'm loving at the moment as well, the, the touchdown, yeah, amazing, it's great, sexy, we love it. We don't have time to gush over it. But do you know what I'm going to gush over more? How he seems to be getting so much better at just getting the small yards do you know yeah. how in the, pre- yeah. in the preseason he said he needs to get better at just doing his assignment instead of trying to make stuff happen? And whether that's actually affecting his game because his game is more like a Saquon Barkley, you know, always looking for the big hit um, in the hole, but as just a team, a, a, fan of the, a fan of the team, it's great to see starting to just, you know, hit a hole as hard and as aggressive as he possibly can. And I think, as we said, as the season goes on, he's going to get better at that and Charbonne is just going to be going to get it better. And that could, again, be another key to this offence. Final thing from me on Ken, because you've, you've teed me up nicely for this, we're just going to throw this up there. Ken's, Ken's touchdown, he's not supposed to be a receiver in that play. He's watching a gap that they didn't rush. He's there in pass protection. The gap in front of him on that line, never. there's nobody that, that blocks the light in that gap. It's just glaring light at him. He goes through the gap, gives Gino an option for a check down, receives the ball, beats a man, takes it to the house. Before, we were saying 
oh, we need to, you know, scheme scheme some some maybe some screens for to get the ball for Ken so he can get the ball in open field. I really want to see him receive the ball in open field. What we've actually seen now is the game slowing down for Ken, him seeing an opportunity, <laughs> Ken seeing an opportunity to to give to give his quarterback an option and absolutely maximising that that moment. That wasn't schemed for him to get a touchdown. It wasn't schemed for him to snap off some yak. He just got it while just reading the play, knowing he wasn't needed in pass pro, providing that option, maximising it. That's a superb um, evolution for for Ken, in my yep. opinion. Totally agree. The the, the football intelligence intelligence um, is uh, is absolutely clear as day with with Kenny. Such a cerebral player, um, and like you say, only only getting better as time goes. Um, On to the defense then. Uh, as I always do, a quick run through of the stat sheet. Bobby Wagner leading the team in tackles with six solo tackles, four assisted, so 10 combined. Half a sack for Bobby as well. Um, Leonard Williams with his first sack as a CLC Hawks. Well done, big cat, and what a sack it was as well. Um, Draymond Jones with half a sack as well. Um, and interestingly, I thought Jaron Reed had, had had some form for half a sack, but on the on the one that I have, it, it doesn't have it. I, I, I seem to remember Jaron Reed doing something. He around the he made the initial contact with the quarterback on the combined sack that Reed that um, yes Draymond uh, Jones and Bobby Wagner got in on. I think that's right. Which essentially was the most important touch actually because it stopped yeah. the quarterback. He became sort of stuck there and then got sacked. So I yeah. thought he yeah. got. I thought Jaron Reed, it must have been on the line. Um, I thought he got a t- uh, tackle for loss on the running back, but he must have just shut him down, you know, on the line or one yard because it's when he walks over to the sideline and he's like that, ah, celebrating. I thought it was a TFL as well. I was expecting to see second and 11. And it came up second and 10. So the judges ah. the judges spotted the ball back at the line, I think, on that one. Now, is, is there anyone I've forgotten on that? Uh... <laughs> on the sacks list? Uh, yes. Can't have been an important sack if it was. No. Uh, oh, there was they were they were ranting about something about a sack record. I think ah yeah, yeah, Boya Mafia, sorry. Um Boya Mafia with another sack, breaking a twenty-five year record that uh, that has stood for the Seahawks since nineteen ninety-eight. Um seven games in a row with a sack. Just ridiculous. Um do you know what it is? This isn't like a, a flash in the pan as well. Like when you watch Boy Mafia, and this is more to like a, this is more to like a, a, a PA message to any non Seahawks fan, any just NFL fan and watching this, any all pro voters. Like this isn't just a flash in the pan from Boy Mafia. The kid is just superb. Like it, like he could have had two or three sacks in this game easily. He was he was he was a fucking midgey's dick away from getting that fucking Sam Howell. <laughs> On the on the touchdown, wasn't he? Wasn't he? He was, he was a mosquito's dick away from getting Sam Howell on that last touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson or whoever it was. Um, so unlucky, I thought. I thought, yep, there's another strip sack coming, and it just got away from him. Uh, but when you watch him, and if if you ever watch all 22 film, if you find some content creators out there who break down film, and that I'm sure there'll be some great videos on Boy and Mafia. He's just winning. He's just winning his reps. He's so explosive, um, and he's just developed. Like I said, we kept alluding to it, but I can't. I just keep having to say I cannot remember a second-year player as a defensive lineman going from his first year to how how that was to now. Like if you'd have asked me, if you'd have told us last season, anyone, oh yeah, next season, Boye Mafia is going to break a twenty-five 
25-year-old franchise sack record for seven games in a row with a sack. Everyone would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Oh, he's, just a, he's just a run defender. Boy, Mafia is just another KJ Wrights and gets sacks. Like, he, he's took his game to an to a, literally to an all-pro level. And the thought of having him, that's just that value. It's like we, we've always seen it. Like, I get so jealous when I watch these other teams, like, like you know, the Niners with Nick Bosa and X, you know, at pass rushes, TJ Watt, and I just think, God, if we just had one of them, like how much more, and it hasn't worked because the games are still stressful. I was going to say how much less stressful watching Seahawks <laughs> football would be in terms yeah. of making games easier to win. They still don't. But I just thought, oh, how amazing would it be to have proper all-pro soccer game kind of rusher on that line? And we've got it in Boy Mafia, who I didn't expect it to come from. And it's just outstanding. You just As soon as they snap the ball, my eyes like, right, where's where's Mafia? Where's 53? And, and and as soon as you find him, he's either beating his man, he's in the process of beating him, or he's getting the quarterback. He's ridiculous. Yeah, I the, the thing. Go on, you go. No, I, I was, I, I was just going to leave James to have his segment, like he normally lets me have my Ken segment. Um, all I was doing whilst we're talking then was just to see the updated defensive player of the year list, just to see if he's entered it. No, has he fought? That's ridiculous. Bobby Wagner's there. That's I mean, we're in a season where Khalil Mack had, what was it, five or six sacks in one game, had Miles Garrett's wrecking house. There's, yes, yes, I agree he should be in the conversation, but there are some absolutely outrageous, consistent performers around the league this year. He should at he has, least he has be on really, list. Yeah, I, I think if you, if you think about all pro, um, you know, pro bowl edge rushes, it's really difficult to see him being like in there, and that's really you've got players like De- Daniel Hunter and and stuff but as he's well. Better. He's playing Mika better, Pars- surely. Mika Parsons, Daniel Hunter, Miles Garrett, like there's so many in that position. I agree. He's playing better than I agree. He's absolutely. Have you heard Aaron Donald's when it name comes to voting? This when season? it comes to voting, there are players, for, there are fans' favourites that are consistent players that have done it for years on end, that, w- that people want to see Micka Parsons, Miles Garrett in, in in those games. We're just a little Pacific Northwest no. you know, franchise with our little toy, our new little toy. Right. I do get it. I'm trying not to interrupt you, but I get where you're coming from. But this list, it must have 20 players' names on it. It goes all the way to 200 to, to 1 odds, right? Geno Stone's on there. Like, he had a good game against us. Fair enough. The thing, I get it, right? I get it. It's not the principle of him. He should win it. He should at least be recognised in the betting odds for it. Pez just wants to stick a five on him. Like, come on. Like, let, let Pez have his five run by him, I fear. Should, should we... Uh, Devon Witherspoon, seven to four, 25 to one. I did tell everyone That's on the podcast. Fair We're not a betting podcast, but I did mention it to everyone. <laughs> 25 to 1. And it's him and Jalen Carter. That's it. Brian Branch. Jalen Carter, my God. Jalen Carter there wins it over Devin Witherspoon, I swear right. to God. But anyway, go for the time. <laughs> took you away. <laughs> Sorry, Mitch. Um, that's all I got for Boy Mafia because James spits lyrical about him, so I don't not want to spoil that. Yeah, the, the thing I was going to say about Mafia, right, 
the, the thing that's getting him all the plaudits and the attention right now is that streak of seven sacks. But if you actually strip it back to his overall importance and impression he's leaving on games, it extends so much further than a player who's had seven sacks in one half of a season. Let's not forget he's on track for a 13-14 sack season. But there's TFLs in there. There's three or four tackles at least per game. There's PDs. There's strip sacks. There's fumbles. There's, you know, the list of things that he's pumping up his stat sheet with outside of those sacks is outrageous. And we, we've seen it ourselves at our own franchise. This isn't, James, I promise you, it's not a dig at, J, at, uh, at DT, right? It's not a, it's not a dig at, at, at DT. But we've seen what a part-time edge rusher that is put on the field in passing situations only he can do. He can get nine, ten sacks a season. But his overall actual impact on games on a consistent basis hasn't been there. Boye Mafe, if he's not getting a sack, which he is all the time anyway because of the record, but if he's not getting his sacks, there are TFLs, PDs, strip sacks. He's making plays all the time. Just like Devin Witherspoon, right? I'll say this. Devin Witherspoon could go his entire career not being the sacks leader, the inter interceptions leader, the passes to defence leader, tackle leader. He could go his whole season not being not being top of any single one of those stats. However, he'll be on each list in competitive spots. He'll be third or fourth on every stat. And that just shows you a guy that finds a way to impact a game on a consistent basis, not with one skill, but with a repertoire of game-wrecking skills. Mafe's got it. Witherspoon's got it. Well, well, you've got the stats this game prove your point. Except for a four sumble, like realistic game changing stats, you know, like your big ones. Mafe has won in every single one this game, except for a four sumble, what realistically he could do, because an interception is very rare on the line, unless you, oh, yeah. you know, bat, bat it to yourself. It goes right up in the air. Or Jamal heads, heads it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, one sack, one TFL, one QB hit, one pass defense. He, he literally did it all. And it's like you said, you hit the nail on the head perfectly for him, Mitch, because whenever we're on defense and the quarterback is being rushed, I can guarantee you 53 will be one of them. If yeah. not the guy, he will be the other guy. He's, he's he either is guy in pursuit or he's edge rusher. Yeah, he's either in pursuit or he's flushing the quarterback out of the pocket, the direction that we're trapping, or you, you know, he's just in on everything. Do you know what's so bad about it? Because you made it right, like uh, Daryl Taylor, non-entity. He's like Boy Mafia is playing Daryl Taylor out of a contract next yeah. season, isn't he? Yeah. He's gone. If Nawosu didn't go down, we that line would be so much more dangerous because of what Mafia can do. Mafia literally, Nawosu would set Mafia up. And Mafia would set Nwosu up. It just would they feed off each other like we wanted him and Daryl Taylor to do last year. And it's such a shame we lost him because them two would have a wrecked joint on the edge. Do you know do you know who's low-key been a really, really big factor in Mafia's improvement this year? Derek Hall. The amount of times Derek Derek Hall's pressure rate is outstanding. And that pre he's sometimes in there not to actually beat his man. He's there to threaten the pocket on that side create that pressure but not fully commit so he can stay there and still set his edge he's pushing 
he's pushing quarterbacks towards he's pushing them into the spider web that Maffei has got on that side it there's there's an awful lot of uh, manipulation of the pocket going on the pressure we've got through the through the, the middle the the setting of the edge on the one side well you're cornering someone there and their only escape is what Maffei's side mm. that's not the side to be trying to run through no I think we've made an interesting point in terms of linking Daryl Taylor to this because I, 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 he's out of contract next season. And like you say, with with Boyer's emergence, with Derek Hall becoming a really decent pass rusher as well, and it's only going to get better once we get Nwosu back, I do not see a role on Darryl, for Daryl Taylor on this team with the money that he's going to potentially want. Just draft a, draft a rookie. You don't, yeah, well, he's going to be a third, fourth stringer. Yeah, I'll, go, anyway. I'll go one further. Do, do you think we'll have... I don't want to say ever because that's a stupid question. The answer to will we ever do it is probably yes. But do you, can you see us? Say, say we draft a, um, an edge rusher, or at least one edge rusher, this in this year's draft. Would you take a guy with pure pass rushing traits, or would you go for a Derek Hall, Boye Mafe balanced pass rush run defense? Because looking at all the all the guys that have made the biggest impact for us, you know, in recent times, they're the guys that can be on there. And if it's a run down, if it's if it's a running play you've got the right man on the field. If it's a passing play, you've got the right man on the field. I'm not sure I want to put a pure, a pure pass rusher back in this team because Daryl Taylor is a really good pass rusher and I genuinely don't want to see him used that much. I don't know. No, you I make a, yeah, you make, a, you make a valid point because um, I don't think we'd ever go with one because of as long as Clint Hurts, the DC... He said at the start of the year he wants a, a line full of men who can do everything. Yeah. So Daryl Taylor, unless he's ready to play team friendly, go find somewhere else, mate, because they won't re-sign him. And if they do sign him, we'll get him for cheap. But he's shown now he he doesn't look like he can adapt. He's not contributing anything this season that a fifth, sixth, seventh round rookie contract guy wouldn't contribute. So why not yeah. just do that? That, that that's mm-hmm. what I that's what I'm thinking and, anyway. Whilst we're on the line, I'd like to show some love to that interior. It's ridiculous some of the things I saw about um, what's his name? I always forget him because he's no Williams. Mm. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Oh, what a wasted pick when Williams was against the Ravens. Whatever. He fucking winded me up. He's literally just turned up. He played a game. We got our asses handed over us. And then he comes in, gets himself a sack, gets himself a quarterback hit, and he starts looking a little bit nice. And you got to remember, he still doesn't have a fucking clue about the system. He might know bits. He's a veteran, savvy, probably adaptable, but he still doesn't know the system. He's still a human being. still takes him time. He's been at bloody Giants for ages. Like, if he's doing that after game two, because he is literally... Elevated in in a two game span, he's elevated the other interior guys. Draymond Jones was every like he's just there in your face doing stuff for the like one of the first times I can say I've sat and watched a game and gone, it's 55. Oh shit, that's Jones looking pretty good. And that's what I think we're gonna see a lot more of now he's turned up. Really is, and big picture, he benefits Cam Young so much. 
that that whole interior is literally just going to feed him into becoming such a great player next year. Because he was. Where we drafted him, you're not expecting him to do anything. He's a big boy, but he looks moldable. They all like him. Big picture, that Cameron Young could be an absolute animal next year with the people he's learning off in that interior line. Very it's, I'm impressed. So the cool thing about nose tackle is it's it's renowned to be the least skillful position to play. Right, nose tackle is you don't. There's not an awful lot of reads. It's C man, beat man up the middle. There's not an awful lot of um, you know scheming there. You, you're you're generally taking on a centre or a guard or a combination of both, and it doesn't change too much. There's not an awful lot to read. However, might be the least skilled position. It's is a position where you want a really experienced, mature guy. The, the best nose tackles in the leagues, when in the league, when you think when you think to the guys that really have been renowned for doing it, players like Snacks, uh, Snacks Harrison, Adomakun Sue, you know, there, there have been guys that have been household names in a really unglamorous position because they literally shut down opponents' games. They, they just remove a factor from your offense by being so good at what they do and being so experienced. Someone like Cam Young, like Pez mentions quite rightly, will really gain a lot from having a load of X-factor um, interior defensive linemen around him that he can just take bits from their game, soak up their experience, because in that nose position, you do become a bit of a leader, almost like the center on the offensive line. You know, you are the center of a, a really important position. So... Um, Pez is absolutely right. It, it's an invaluable resource for Cam Young. Also, we're not in a situation where Cam Young has to play. They can pick and choose his snaps. They can pick and choose when he's playing because we're, because of how good Jaron Reed's been. We've got a natural successor and we've got Jaron Reed for another year. So I think we're actually in a really good position at that spot. And Monet's come back as well, who we know can do a decent job. Oh, yeah, Monet. Yeah, that out. I think Monet will do. The forgotten man, I think he's had some really good spells. You make a good point there. He's had some really good spells to show signs that it could be something with all this interior, like all this interior depth of experience. Them younger boys are just just feed off them older guys. Yeah. Williams, Draymond Jones, Jeremy Reed, like yeah. they could make anything. Could I steal I've got a stat for the secondary. Can I uh, just oh, steal yeah. the limelight and move us on to there? So, if anyone was wondering, who might not be on social media, might not seen this on social media, to why the running backs managed to destroy us in the passing game and be like, because I've heard a few people go, oh, this defence isn't as what they said it is, and da 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 da, da. be careful. The sole reason why the running backs just, just donkeyed us was because between Spoon, Reek, and Trey Brown, the three wide receivers for the commanders, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Dotson, Terry McLaurin had four catches for 33 yards. Curtis Samuel had two for six, and Dotson didn't even get anything. They literally locked the wide receivers down like donkey piss. Like, that's why the running backs ran all over us, because, as in the commentary said, 
we literally had their scheme to a T. It was all the scramble drills what destroyed us and carved us wide open. But that could have been because we had our men so locked up, it exploited massive holes. What the linebackers with a not looking 100% Jordan Brooks and old Bobby Wagner on coverage and shit. Just we've we've seen that play out when you when our linebackers have to start doing that kind of stuff and it's not pretty and that's what you're seeing. And that is because all their wide receivers, all his all Sam Howell's reads were clearly locked down. Mm. So that I'm not going to go on about Spoon, even though I really want to, because he had a few quiet games, and my God, he was back. That Ravens game must have pissed him. We said before the thing, I only saw this morning the shot of him going at Jamal Adams on the sideline. Love to see it. Love the fact that he's a rookie, and he's prepared to hold them veterans to a standard that he's setting himself. Love that about the guy. Couldn't get enough of that. Um, But... Rookie watch, I'm sure we can, because time and stuff on the main pod, we can save a bit of gushing over him. I want to talk about Trey Brown. Yes, I was waiting to end it with Trey. Thank you. Trey Brown, for me, this is what everyone, everyone who buzzed off him in the draft and everyone was like, yeah, but he's not got the measurables and he's this and he's that and you see him why. People who are a bit more knowledgeable in college football, especially when we've picked Trey Brown, I was only just starting to dip my toe into that kind of like thing with watching college football, understanding a bit more. But I just saw a load of hype. Some people clearly didn't know more than others because they were like, what the fuck, why we picked this guy, blah, blah, blah. But some people were proper, like that's a steal kind of levels of excitement. Mitch probably could allude to that because you're like the college man. But people were like, literally, like that is a absolute steal, and you're starting to see it this season. Yeah. You, could you imagine where he'd be without his injury? DJ Reed. Yeah, similar comp actually. Really combative player, isn't he? And, and the thing is, when he when he came out of college, one of the big one of the big things that dropped him. Um, down on a lot of people's boards was the discipline thing. He used to be an absolute magnet oh, for flags. yellow flags. Yeah, he used to be a magnet for flags with, um, you know, unnecessary roughness and uh, being extremely competitive and in people's faces. We've not seen an awful lot. He, yes, he's had flags, but no more than anyone else. In fact, probably less than a lot of players. Uh, I think Tariq Woolen's probably had more yet, more flags, probably erroneously, but. Um, yeah, he's he seems to have really matured and cleaned up some of the, the the things in his game that did drop him down a lot of people's draft draft boards, and what we're actually just seeing now is a playmaker um, that can go stride for stride with a lot of very quick wide receivers and keeps himself in on the play all the way until you know all the way to the end. So I I've always liked Brown. I, I loved where we picked him. I thought there was nothing but upside where we picked him. And he's got a year. He's got a year until until he's up for for renewal. And I really hope he's a player we keep around because if mm. he carries on at the level he's on now, imagine when he's got the carrot dangled on his contract year, and we we could have a problem there because we are definitely going to have to extend Reek and we are going to be extending Witherspoon. We don't necessarily want to have another corner on the roster on big money. 
But if he keeps playing the way he is, I don't know that we can keep him on the cheap because he just looks... He look, and I honestly can see him as... This is negative, and I, I'm sorry, but I can see him as a player that we don't extend because... A bit like... Um, um, was it Sha- what was his, what was he what was his name the two brothers we had on the roster the, the, Shaquem yeah yeah they, 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 one of them went to the Jags Shaquille Shaquille yeah so himself a pick this weekend that was that was a player that we didn't commit a contract to that we probably could have kept around that one we were we were um, probably right with with his career trajectory and the way it went but I could see it being a situation like that where a lesser side offers him a lot of money. And um, I don't think we can commit to that with the two extensions we'll have coming up in the subsequent years. Maybe if we could offer him two years, maybe two years, like a two-year, 22 million or something. Um, but that's going to be a hard one to keep it because he will have justified money because of the, the level of his play. Yeah, I look at when I look at corners coming out of college and in the way I kind of evaluate them and, and make my mind up on them. If I see a corner at five foot ten playing on the outside, I'm instantly drawn to them because I think five foot ten, that school, that that coaching staff must trust that guy to play the outside. He must have some kind of above average talent because teams don't trust five foot ten corners to play outside if they're not if they're not good. Ball players, if they're not good, hot, like you know, good technical players. So I think when I was looking at Trey, I thought, well, he's so small, but yet they do trust him outside. So clearly, clearly they're confident with him outside. And you see him coming at the Seahawks, and everyone's like, ah, he'll just play in the slot. He'll just do what Kobe Bryant does. He'll just play in the nickel, just play in the slot. And he's playing outside every single time. He's not playing in the slot at all, really. He's predominantly on the outside at the minute, and he's locking guys. Like he was second on the team in tackles. Bobby Wagner led the team, and he was second with five. Like ridiculous. He's- He's actually a massive contributor to yeah. uh, Witherspoon's success as well, because if you think that if if Witherspoon hadn't, if, sorry, if Brown if Brown hadn't been good on the perimeter like he has been, and then Witherspoon had to go over there, and then we'd had Bush or uh, Jay Love or um, you know someone else playing the slot. Think of all the plays across the middle that Devin Witherspoon's made because we've had someone of a high standard to play on the perimeter to free him up to make plays in the middle. So a lot of Devin Witherspoon's big, big plays in the middle of the field have been not not because of Trey Brown, but Trey Brown has allowed him freedom to be put in that position more often. Yeah. It's an enabling factor, I think. Yeah. Any final words on the on, on the defence or anything from uh, this game before we wrap it up? Oh, one thing. Jerick Reed lighting the guy. Oh yeah, that was it. Yes. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna give him a shout out because he's starting to slowly, game by game, he's the guy who's being highlighted more and more. And people don't need to forget that where he came from, where he's drafted, his character, he's a mouldable bit of clay. And if you remember, some of our greatest of our time watching the Seahawks, some of our greatest players took his route, took the long, prove it through special teams route. Do you know what I love to see as well? Julian Love on special teams as well. I was going to say the same thing. Do you know what? We haven't had... I saw it and I thought, do you know what? 
maybe I don't pay enough time by attention, you know, like a punt or a kickoff or anything. I don't really pay much attention to it. Like I will like be looking because just in case you break one and you're like, fuck. But I never really like, oh yeah, right, he's tackled down at the fucking 20. I'm like, kind of look at my phone or something waiting for the adverts to do what. Not really looking who's on the field. But this is the first time in a very long time I've noticed starters going back on special teams. The last time I can really remember this happening was like 2013, 14, 15 kind of time where everyone just chipped into everything. So that to me shows that with the moves they've made in the trade, with uh, Leonard Williams and things like that, yes, things aren't sweet at the moment. But in this league, things can change week in, week out, like we spoke about. Like, it only needs, like, one or two things to click, and then we're on fire. I, I genuinely believe it. It might it might take another year, but I genuinely believe the way this team's constructed, the players we've got, fuck the coaches, just the players themselves. We're a spoon holding Jamal accountable as a rookie. You know what I mean? These kind of things, this is what you want to see. You want to start seeing it. You want to start hearing the stupid stories of DK punching Gino in the face. It doesn't matter if the, it doesn't matter if it, it does, my point is it doesn't matter if it did or it didn't. This is the kind of shit you want to start hearing because this is the kind of stuff you started hearing when this team was good in the past. You want to see it. Great teams who win the Super Bowl, who get good playoff runs, this shit happens constantly because they're so competitive and they believe they can win it. And this team is showing me the way the players are acting, they truly believe. This team hasn't shown me for years they truly believe they have an opportunity to do something. Whether that opportunity is a year, two years down the line, I don't know, but the players are bought in again. I don't think I've seen a full team of players for the Seahawks who bought in. And that gives me hope that we might only be a few clicks away from making this thing set on fire. So everyone, just keep with it. Don't live in the bubble. Step out of it. It's a week-to-week basis. But look at the bigger picture. There's still a lot of time to go. I love it. The the one week, as you said there, the one week that we get DK punching Gino rumors is DK's best week performance wise in a long time. <laughs> like that that well, he grips him at half time. Did you not hear that one? No. Do you not hear that one? No. Source me by me. Oh yeah. You were like, oh, someone must have spoken to Gino. Yeah, it was DK going, Gino, come here, mate. Look at look at this message I've got here. Fucking. Listen, Give him the five knuckle shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> no, just set him up against the locker like, you better fucking sort your shit out. Yeah. I'm not going down with you. But before we do finish, I thought it was a good, funny little segment when we read out <laughs> carry off uh, Twitter's <laughs> 10 positives to take out of the game. It's in funny because you couldn't read fucking half of them. That's why it was funny. But that's what made it funny. She... she I tagged her in it. She listened. She said it was very funny with the way we delivered it. <laughs> so I thought we'd go back, to the, go back to the trade because the way she... I'm going to read them the way she's put them out on Twitter. It'd be disrespectful if I didn't and we can have a good laugh at me sounding stupid, abbreviating a lot of stuff. So, and anyone who's listening, this is at KPA Singh, Kerry Anderson. 
So, number one. I'm looking at him, the, Pez, by the way. The W. Have you seen number have you seen number nine? Oh yeah, you're gonna struggle with that. <laughs> <laughs> fucking gonna struggle with that one. But anyway, number one, the W. Number two, K9 64 yard T D with with uh, Bobo and Tyler blocking. Great shout. Brilliant. Number three, Mafe Ra- record. I'm I'm I'm, I'm stuttering now. I've got James, I've got James. Number four, O-line lane equaling K9, 13 yards. Number five, Zach, fourth down conversion. We didn't speak about that. That was brilliant. Great confidence booster for him. Number six, DK tackle. Shocking. Shocking first down. That is what it says. So is that what he says? That that like, what that. Says. Oh, I'm getting off to you. Red. Um, number seven, 13 yard Gino jog. Zimmer frame, Zimmer frame walk. Number eight, Tyler. I'm guessing that's just for being a hero. Number nine. Go on then. <laughs> Ambiguous. No, it's not. There's no end in it. There's no M in it. There's no G in it. <laughs> <laughs> and ambiguous doesn't even know what I think you're thinking of. Ambi- yeah, I know. Right. Go on it then, says, big stuff. It says ubiquitous. That's well out of my dictionary. <laughs> Do you know what it means? Ubiquitous spoon. No, no ubiquitous. No G in it. Right. Ubiquitous. <laughs> Ubiqu- <laughs> ubiquitous. Yeah. No, what does it mean? It means everywhere, being everywhere. Like, All right, you find so it everywhere. So, spoon everywhere. Spoon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 10, reek, fumble recovery. 11, as we so said, read, punishing, punt, return, hit. And then 12, to finish it off, Myers, 100%, equaling 17 points. What I'm guessing is fantasy related. No, there you go. Points he scored in the game, wasn't it? 17 points in the game, yeah. I mean, he must have scored more than that in fantasy. He must have scored like twenty odd in fantasy. Uh, yeah, two two bonus two point bonus points on two touchdowns. That's two, and then he. Well, what's hang on? What's what's five times three? We can quickly fucking work. Right. Yeah, five times five times three, fifteen plus two, <laughs> one points. Yeah, quick math. Quick math. Fuck. Yeah. Anyway, well, we are shout out to Kerry for another yeah. positive way to end the podcast. As yeah, always. We were, we were slick and we did it justice. There you go. Yeah, you've hijacked positive peg segment, <laughs> but he's found a way to make it his own as well. So I like it. I like the uh, I like the tradition we're building there. Um, but yeah, no, as always, thank you for listening to everyone who tuned in this week. The Rams this week. Um, don't take this one for granted. We know Sean McVeigh likes to have our number. He's got it on speed dial. Um, so this is not going to be a walk in the park. Um, this is going to be the start of our gauntlet of a month with the 49ers twice, Eagles, Cowboys. A season-defining five game coming up because I'm putting the Rams right in that. I don't think this is going to be easy at all. Uh, as I've said, they always find a way to, to knacker up our season at times, the Rams, and, and take wins off us um, when, when we think that we should walk all over them. We know that doesn't always work with Sean McVeigh. Um, so another big week um, and another massive game, a must win, like I say, going into those tough four games after that. Another must win. If we go seven and three, 
Um, we can come out of those four games losing all of them at worst, still being a seven and seven football team, which in this NFC playoff race, um, a seven and seven five hundred record is going to get you in the playoffs at this rate. Um, whereas if we go six and four, if we lose against the Rams, you lose all those four games. All of a sudden, you're six and eight. That's not that's uh, that's not very good. So the 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 importance of this game this week is a huge difference between being a seven and three football team and a six and four football team going into a, a four week stretch with the Niners twice. Cowboys and Eagles cannot be understated in my opinion. So let's get this job done this week. Um, but as always, we'll be back to talk about it. You know we will for good or for bad or probably a little bit of both when it comes to the Seahawks. We'll be here to talk about it. Um, but for now, you can find us on Twitter, XYZ, whatever you want to call it, Instagram, TikTok. Um, you can find the link to our Discord in our pinned tweet. Uh, just search We Talk Seahawks on any bit of social media. You will probably find us there. Um, but until next week, it's a stay tuned and it's a go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.